electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market Moving Insight and Analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Wednesday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer live from separate locations. Faber has the morning off. Futures are climbing into the green after the Dow's first drop in seven and the Nasdaq's first intraday trip above 10K. A lot of news today. We'll get a Fed statement and news conference this afternoon. Corporate updates from Starbucks, Delta, Yum, some high profile downgrades, oil 38. 10-year 80 basis points, Jim, but uh, interesting confluence of news, whether it's uh, medical, uh, some of these states posting some of their highest caseloads uh, since the pandemic began, but then again, optimism about the recovery at the same time. Right. I, I, look, I think they were all kind of thrown. It's governor to governor. I mean, yesterday in New Jersey, suddenly we get that you can have you can have 100 people outside. You have 50 people inside. I mean, uh, versus six. And, and we're all kind of confused. We see some parts of the country looking worse. Other parts of the country that were so terrible, it, it's wide open. And uh, the confusion to me is uh, what are the numbers going to be look like? Uh, what, what are they going to look like, given the fact that New York now feels like post uh, Wuhan? And the rest of the country seems like, I don't know, maybe is it going to be Italy? Is it going to be Spain? I, I, I don't think it is. I think it's going to be better. But I, I got to tell you, Carl, the, the stuff that's being bought uh, is not in sync with, uh, with what's happening, uh, particularly the airlines, uh, the Hertz rental car. We saw a very good piece in the journal uh, about the uh, new young investors and what they're buying. And what they're buying is very out of sync with what's happening in the economy. Yeah, I think uh, one of the headlines on our website was if you want your stock to pop, uh, consider bankruptcy or at least have somebody report that you are considering bankruptcy. <laughs> um, Hertz, meantime, uh, confirms today they got a delisting uh, proceeding from the NYSE that's moving ahead. They're going to challenge that. But uh, the commentary regarding Robinhood, even their marketing, Jim, uh, the way they're pressing uh, young millennials to invest uh, it's not FOMO. The, the phrase they're using is YOLO. You only live once. Yeah, YOLO is that's not an investment strategy. Uh, I, I was pushing last night for Hertz to be delisted on, on Mad Money because uh, there were 500 million shares that, that traded two days ago, and there are only 140 million shares uh, in the float. There were 250 million yesterday. Uh, it, there's a lot of people, young investors, who don't understand the capital structure, don't understand the common stock is the lowest, don't understand that if Carl Icahn sold 38%, his 38% stake in the 70 cent area, uh, don't think that he is someone who throws in the towel. Uh, think that he is someone who knows what that common stock is really worth. There was a my friend David Portnoy was uh, quoted in that article saying you, you buy stocks, they go up. And uh, well, they didn't go up yesterday and they might not go up today. And I, I think that David has just a, he has a great time. I love him on sports. He's enjoying himself. But remember, these are stocks. And stocks don't do exactly what you think they do, which is that the more enthusiasm you have does not mean they go up. It can mean they go down. It does bring out sellers at right. a certain point. 
So you think the dynamic of a younger generation of investors thinking they know better than Druckenmiller and Carl and Tudor Jones, who yesterday, Jim, Economic Club of New York, uh, sort of joins Stan and says, uh, humble pie, right? I, I did not see this coming in a lot of ways. Uh, look, the, the Greybeards got you out. Uh, one of the things that, uh, that Portnoy did uh, that was indicative of, uh, of what someone uh, away from the game uh, sees is he, he thought that Warren Buffett uh, capitulated and sold the airlines at the bottom and created the bottom. Buffett did. Uh, if you listen to Stan yesterday, Stan, Stanley Druckenmiller at the Economics Club, he, he compared it to 1999 going to 2000. Well, maybe it is, but in the interim, uh, there are people who made a great deal of money if you took things off the table. Uh, Dave Tepper at, the, at that moment was was negative. I've seen him go positive and be negative. Why? Because the facts change. But uh, Ray Dalio made me feel, uh, well, wait a second. Uh, um, in my 60s, I'm listening to Ray Dalio. I'm playing with fire, walking around with all this stock. Uh, the guys who really got people out uh, were the people who we consider to be the most responsible people there are. Uh, the guys who kept you right. in would be the people who are neophytes. But you can stay too long. Uh, and I think yesterday's reversal said they're staying too long. Interesting. Um, you know, another name that sort of fits into this uh, this framework is Nikola, of course, now a uh, company not troubled by any means, Jim, uh, but no revenue and a market cap that now exceeds Ford and Fiat Chrysler uh, crossing the 30 billion mark intraday yesterday. I question uh, Nikola uh, on Twitter and uh, my uh, wife said, stop looking, uh, stop looking at your Twitter feed. Uh, people just. They just hated me too much. Uh, and uh, when I did profile of it, I said, look, it's going to shoot up and then it's going to go down. And the fact that I said it was going to shoot up was uh, greeted positively. But because I said it will cool off and go down, I spent another day not on Twitter. Uh, I've been on Twitter since 2009, <laughs> but the, these two days were too vicious. And I wanted to try to enjoy my life in a period that is very hard to get any enjoyment. Uh, and I had to stop looking because I was so despised that I questioned there could be a top to the stock. Uh, the, these are not wise yeah. people who say, say things like that. There are, right. We're there are talk, tops, of course, uh, to there the are tops of stocks. Sure. Yeah. We're going to talk to the CEO of uh, Ford Motor later on today uh, about Nikola and this new partnership, Jim, with uh, Ford and VW, uh, part, shared production of commercial vehicles, uh, VVs. And now this story out of Reuters about uh, Elon Musk and a memo, Jim, where he says it's time to bring the Tesla Semi to volume production. So lots of moving pieces in, in autos today. Right. Now, uh, it, I'm going to use a word that is uh, that people, graybeards won't like. So hold your ears. They were running Ford the other day uh, in Robinhood. They were running it. And running it means they're taking a stock from five to seven. It was not Ford's numbers. It was the game that people play. Bag them, gun them, and then liquidate them. You get in first, that's the bag, you gun, you say Ford's good, and then you liquidate into the people who were late. And uh, BGL is an old style from 1980s, and BGL's back, uh, and that Ford was going up. We may hear that Ford's doing better, but it's more likely that the stock's doing better than the company. BGL. Bag them, gun them, and liquidate them. That's what they called it in the 80s. I was writing. I wrote. I wrote against it in the 80s. I wrote against it in the 90s, and it's back. Uh, younger people doing it. They figure out a stock to run. They ran Hertz. They ran American Air. 
they ran a, a company called Genius Brands, where I have a letter here basically from the CEO that says, listen, we do exist. Well, there's one for you, right? We do exist. There's that very... Uh, very advised. Uh, so you're seeing stocks that are being run uh, and you have to recognize that they're being run, that, that Hertz was being run, that all the oil tanker stocks that were being run from a dollar to two dollars. And that's just a process. And it's a bad process. It's a top process. It is the ultimate sign of froth. But it's new investors. And what I wanted, I was saying, oh, I wish new investors were were buying fractional shares in Amazon. But no, they love those stocks that are a dollar because they can gun them, they can bag them, they can gun them and liquidate them at two bucks. And BGL's being played. And BGL's something that the SEC used to not like. But the SEC, I don't know. The question is, will it be back on CBS? I'm sorry, will it surface from Washington? Because uh, where are they? Where are they? Where are they with Hertz? Why didn't they stop trading at Hertz? Where are they with Chesapeake? Why didn't they stop trading Chesapeake? So, Jim, in your view, how long can that process run and what finally brings it to an end other than, uh, you know, financial pain? The canceling of the stocks that are worthless uh, would certainly help. Uh, a four-day decline in American air back to where it might, might be worth being in light of the Delta number. Uh, did Delta revenue be cut by 90 percent versus year? That certainly doesn't bode well for American. Uh, and a recognition that some of these tanker stocks are worth far less if oil goes down. Uh, it does not end well. Uh, it ends well for the people who get out uh, yesterday before they started going down. And, Carl, you know what it really takes? Us talking about saying they may not be worth what they're worth. That's what it takes because the well, government is absent. Yeah, that's what, uh, that's what we're trying to do with right now, Jim. I yeah. mean, you mentioned airlines. Uh, certainly J.P. Morgan has a a corresponding view when it comes to JetBlue and UAL downgrades today. Yeah, they, they were, it, Evercore had a dollar price target when uh, when American was at 12. They had a $10 price target before that, and a dollar because they just said, listen, it's taking a huge amount of debt on. We have a lot of companies, the cruise uh, lines, have taken on a huge amount of debt, but they haven't had a huge number of bookings at prices that they used to have. These planes are flying. There's a fantastic article in the New York Times about flying from Germany being one of the few people on the plane. Uh, and yet they gun, they gun, when I say gun, I'm going to bag them, gun them, liquidated. The people who are uninformed or the people who are early, if you want to call them that, uh, it, I now find that the game of musical chairs is over. Uh, today will not be a day when I look at Twitter, Carl, other than if my wife sent me some pictures of my beefsteak tomatoes. But, you know, yeah. we can pop the yeah. balloon right here, right now. And that's what we're doing. Uh, it's, they're not the only downgrades today either. Um, Chevron, you were talking about yesterday, RBC takes it to sell. Micron today, Baird on Cisco. Do you see this sort of gathering steam? Yeah, the chef, but that Chevron downgrade was intriguing because what they were saying, it's, it, it's obviously done better than the rest. It's time to rotate into, into lesser names. I disagree with that. I think that Mike Worth, uh, the CEO of, of Chevron, runs the company as if it's uh, not a wildcat company. Uh, and I want to compare that to the late and good friend Aubrey McClendon, who uh, while he was actually a, more of a of a business type than a wildcat or did turn Chesapeake into the great wildcat company and it never was able to recover. I thought the Chevron piece was uh, 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 suboptimal 
in the sense that you don't put out a piece saying you should sell Chevron when it is the, the best run oil company in the country. It also compared to some uh, international companies that was veiled that BP's not that uh, I felt not that good. I, I didn't like that downgrade. I, I don't like to downgrade great stocks and Chevron. I don't like this energy stocks. Uh, I think that their time has gone away. The people ultimately from Robinhood will be running big money, and they won't buy Chevron. But right now, Chevron and oil are here to stay, and you don't sell that. That's the highest quality there is. All right, Chevron, uh, right at 100. Jim, after a break, uh, we'll talk about Powell and what we might expect to hear from uh, the Fed chair today at the news conference at 2.30. Of course, a statement coming out at 2 p.m. as well. And as Jim alluded to, uh, some corporate... uh, Uh, signs about the quarter out of Starbucks, Delta, and Yum. When we're back in a minute. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with P. Jim, a leading global asset manager. Why don't we put capital into the neighborhoods? I could come up with a project that is not a project, but something that will overhaul the system. I got infrastructure that allows for vocational training and technology, and I get capital. 1%, 1%, less than 1% of $70 trillion. That then helps me create, that helps me create more wealth, which goes into the community. So there are a number of tangible things that can occur, that we can, that we can invest in. City's Ray McGuire there, Jim. I know you tweeted about it as he was on Squawk this morning. Uh, and the key word there is tangible in terms of the solutions that we're now hearing from some of these executives. Right. Uh- Ray's a great friend of mine. He was in my, uh, my law school class. Uh, can't really the smartest guy in my law school class, as far as I can tell. He also was, remember, he was going for, <laughs> he was going for law and JDM. Uh, you know, he's doing the JDMBA, which I always thought was about yeah. uh, Glenn Hutchins, too. He was on a lot. I mean, he was just at a different level. It's like and, the academic Iron Man. Yes. Yeah, yeah, he was just different. <laughs> Ray's, Ray's a different level. He's always been at a different level. And he's always been the greatest guy. Uh, and we got to change uh, and we got to have the dialogue and uh, Ray could have come on and talk about the M&A and uh, he did at the beginning. But Ray has taught a lot of us. But we're not doing enough. Uh, we're not doing enough. And uh, I, we got to change. And, and when Ray comes on and says this stuff, uh, I've heard it. And I say to myself, OK, I've heard it. What have I done? And the answer is not enough. Everyone who heard Ray heard the story about his family. And we got to get our act together and we got to change. Thank you, Ray. Thank you for coming on and talking the truth. Yep. Now, that was good. Uh, Certainly the momentum uh, not slowing down by any means. Uh, Jim, one more break here. When we come back, we will talk to the Ford COO about this new production partnership with uh, VW and what that means for the auto industry on a very busy Wednesday with a Fed decision this afternoon. Back in a minute. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, No one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. 
See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash methane. Our Phil Abo joins us this morning with the COO of Ford. Morning, Phil. Good morning, Carl. Let's bring in Jim Farley, COO of Ford. Uh, Jim, lots to talk about, including this deal with Volkswagen that you guys finalized this morning. Let's start first off with a status check. How do things stand in terms of ramping up production, and what are you seeing right now in the market in terms of consumer demand for going back out and buying vehicles? Well, good morning, Phil. Uh, we're seeing great, uh, very strong demand. We have for more than a month now. Uh, actually, some are model products on retail were up year over year like f-150 so very strong demand on production uh we're adding second and third shifts now are will be by july 6 we'll be up to full north of era production and by the end of this month almost all of our plants will be on three shifts or overtime Jim, you're entering a crucial stretch where you're going to be unveiling the new F-Series. You're going to give us our first look at the new Bronco that you're going to roll out over the next, uh, within the next year. And then you've got the Mustang Mach-E, the all-electric Mustang, coming out later this year. How much did the COVID-19 pandemic set you guys back in terms of your product portfolio? Not much, but I, uh, Phil, you'll see I have my, my Bronco shirt on today. Um, Look, the launches are really critical for our North America profitability and for our customers. The Mach-E and the, Mus- and the Bronco are brand new products. We, we, it will be incremental to us, brand new customers. We're really excited. Uh, the F-150, that is our key launch this year. You know, the team during COVID, the lockdown, made a lot of progress on the software verification, a lot of the technical uh, items for our launch as well as supplier readiness. But until we get in those facilities and start building prototypes, you know, we can't progress the launch. So we don't see any delays to the launch at all outside of, you know, the, the COVID shutdown of the plants. And in fact, uh, during the break, our engineers uh, and supply team made really good progress. So we feel great about our new launches. The F-150, uh, we have Bronco coming, as you said, and we also have a new small utility, off-road utility coming, which we're really excited about. And of course, the Mach-E with lots of reservations. So, Jim, when does the Ford restructuring take hold? You've heard the critics. I'm sure you've heard them who are sitting there saying Ford's not moving fast enough. This seems to be a perpetual restructuring that's been going on for the last couple of years. When do we see that pay off in terms of restructuring this company in a new direction? Great question. You know, the bottom line is our new lineup comes out later this uh, year in the in the third and fourth quarter that's the high leverage opportunity we've been waiting for we've worked for three to four years to get this new lineup to market we're going to have the freshest product lineup in north america it's our key market from a profit standpoint north america is our key opportunity but we're also working on costs we have a new coo in north america 
uh, Lisa Drake. She's been working on a warranty and material cost. Between the cost progress and the new vehicles, we have an unprecedented opportunity to really create a lot of shareholder value and also get a lot of new customers to the Ford brand with this brand new product lineup. Uh, Jim Hayes, great to see you. Jim Kramer. Uh, Hi, Jim. Hey, you know what? You've done a great job in America. You know, I bought the 350, the Super Duty, excuse me. Uh, it, it's an incredible truck. Just just lasts forever. Uh, I think that your that whole series is amazing. And I want to know when I see Elon Musk do a pickup that is, uh, I don't know, kind of fanciful to me. Uh, uh, and then I read that he's selling a tremendous number of he's about selling a tremendous number of cars in, in, uh, in China. I think why in China is the F-150 not the biggest seller and uh, what happened in China? And why do you really need do you need VW, say, to get into China? They sell a lot there because to me, I just don't get the disconnect. The 150 may be the greatest vehicle ever made. uh, And I don't get why that isn't the biggest seller in China. Yeah. So good question. Well, first of all, uh, Phil, I have to say, you know, there's a lot of attention to electrification, new companies. But Ford in the next 24 months, we'll launch an all-electric F-150 and an all-electric transit van. We are number one in the pickup and the van market in Western Europe and the U.S., and this is our chance. Um, we are electrifying, and we're a brand that people trust. On China, you know, our products got old, Phil, and, uh, and we didn't invest in, in new products. Now we are. We're launching four new utilities, and the transit is really strong. We've gained retail share in China for the first time in several years, the last two months. More than half our sales are transit vans. Uh, we do offer pickup trucks through the JMC brand, but really our version of the pickup truck in F-150 in China is the transit van, and it is selling like hotcakes. More than 48% of our sales last month were transit commercial vans. So the commercial industry is hot in China right now, and it's more almost half of our sales. Wow. Okay. Uh, that's news to me. So I always want to say when something's news rather than just you on about it, that's, that's terrific. It makes me think of one thing, Jim. What would happen tomorrow if you went into to Ford and you went to Bill Ford and you say, look, we are really profitable in the following four markets. Uh, let's close everything else and, and put up big numbers. What would happen? Well, we've been working through that, you know, scenario. We have lots of unprofitable product lines in South America. We've stopped Focus and Fiesta. We, we've stopped the, the Fusion in the U.S. Hard decisions, hard decisions to, to, to get out of legacy nameplates that people love. But, you know, we saw no uh, future, no profitability. And, you know, with the pandemic, uh, Phil, we're looking at every part of our business. If we're not convinced it's going to be profitable in the long term. You know, we're not going to allocate capital. We're going to restructure. We're going to do what's required to to set the business on the right path. We have doubled down on our really profitable businesses now. Uh, That's the new name place. And we're growing in new places. You know, we're the number one cross shop brand with Jeep. He contributed to the revenue and profit for FCA. They've had that market largely by themselves. We're going to have a whole new lineup of Broncos. And it's about time. Um, but I, I would say, Phil, you know, basically, Jim, uh, Bill would say yep. what you need to do. 
Hey, Jim, I hate to cut you off, but we're running up against the opening bell. So quick question, if you could give us a quick answer. What do you think when you see a company like Nikola with no revenue, no products, and yet the market cap surpassed Ford's market cap in the last couple of days? I think of an electric F-150 and electric transit, customers who trust us, fully connected vehicles with connectivity. We're more than 50% of the existing market. We're electrifying our lineup. I'm thinking opportunity for Ford Motor Company. Jim Farley, COO of Ford. Not shying away from the question when it comes to nickel. We appreciate you joining us, updating us on where things stand with Ford as it restructures operations. Carl, we'll be watching to see what happens with Ford here over the next two months or next two years. Carl, back to you. You got that right, Phil. Thank you so much, our Phil LeBeau. Take a quick break here. We'll get the opening bell in just about uh, four minutes as we are awaiting the Fed decision this afternoon. Don't go away. Welcome back. Opening bell in just a few moments on this Wednesday. It's a pretty busy one uh, with the Fed decision coming up uh, this afternoon, Jim. Uh, and then a uh, lot of uh, medical news, uh, NIH sort of laying out a timeline for some phase three trials, Moderna in July, uh, AstraZeneca in August, J&J in September. And then, of course, those comments from Fauci yesterday, Jim, saying cool. uh, the virus in general is his own worst nightmare, the way it's sort of decimated the world in four months, but said on a vaccine, it's going to take more than one. And I guarantee, he said, that we're going to get one. I, I, I was with some guys to celebrate the reopening in New Jersey yesterday. And I was saying first quarter for uh, the, uh, for the vaccine. Uh, there wasn't a soul who felt it was going to be that late. Everybody feels it's going to be Q4. It's going to change the country's uh, 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 face. And I, I don't know. I, I think it's too optimistic. But if Dr. Fauci's there... Uh, and all these drug companies are saying it. It's really risky to say it and then not deliver. But, wow, it, it would be amazing. And remember, it took four years to develop the mumps vaccine. That was the fastest ever. But we have AI now. We have uh, uh, great stuff when it comes to gen- uh, just to, to the genome. And we have what Jensen Wong told me from uh, NVIDIA, uh, chip, uh, graphic user interface chips that are so fast that you can run out a lot of different things and discover what's not working. So maybe the idea that you can get rid of a lot of the bad uh, does does uh, accelerate. But, boy, it would be incredible. It, it just would be yeah. incredible. As we've said, fast. as we've said before, Jim, I mean, there's no one's out there mandating that he say this out loud. Right. The fact that he's uh, voluntarily t- talking about a. Q4, Q1 timeline is interesting. There's another record high on the Nasdaq, Jim. Oh, uh, I think that makes it three days in a row for an intraday high. Uh, I have to tell you that some of these moves uh, in the major in the majors now, uh, they are acting like small cap. I mean, you know how hard it is to get Apple going like this. And that is not a bag of gun and liquidate That is a, just a group of people realize that, you know what, 5G's here. And 5G is going to be explosive. Very positive note about Ericsson this morning. Uh, NVIDIA winning some uh, very big business uh, that people are talking about. Uh, uh, winning some Apple business maybe with AMD. Uh, there's every, everyone is speculating and everybody's winning business. Uh, and things are just better in the stock market than they are in the real world. But I guess if they think there's going to be a vaccine in Q4, the numbers for everything are too low. Uh, yeah, Jim. I mean, headlines like the, there's a couple in Chinese media this morning uh, sort of speculating that the Chinese could limit uh, Qualcomm chips, Apple chips in government agencies or in areas that uh, are involved national security. Headlines that, like that just completely getting ignored right now. In fact, any discussion of Chinese tensions is getting ignored. 
look, a few weeks ago, we were worried that Taiwan Semi might be uh, uh, deeply hobbled by the Chinese saying Taiwan's ours. Now we're just looking at Taiwan Semi saying things are pretty good, so let's go buy the rest of the semis. Uh, this is going in, in, we are in such bull market mode. And remember, we're the most overbought in the history of the S&P oscillator, the most overbought. And it is showing no uh, signs of dissipating. Now, there, there's two overbought. So the, let's just use it. Let's use the parlance of Hertz overbought, a stock that might be worthless. But then there's the overbought of a Facebook. Uh, there's an article in Facebook sure. saying that they're losing ads. It, oh, so the stock's only up a dollar and a half. Maybe it would be up five if they were not yeah. losing ads. Wow. No, no. The, the Times today talks to some advertisers and says that some find it morally impossible uh, to advertise on the platform. But, Jim, uh, to your point, I mean, it's not just records. It's records on volume. It's six billion shares of the Nasdaq uh, a day. Uh, numbers that we went 10 years without getting five billion. <laughs> well, no, it, it, it's bewildering. Uh, but it's V. It's it's people believing in the V. Uh, it, it's a belief that, uh, let's say, the Fed talks today and they're not going to take the foot off the gas pedal because we still have 13 percent unemployment. Uh, it, it's one of those moments where because the numbers, uh, aggregate numbers are so weak, uh, the Fed feels that it still has to do a step, step on the gas pedal. But if you look at the housing numbers, the housing numbers are very strong. Uh, what I find interesting is, is that the the recession stocks are doing well. And the stocks that signify a dramatic increase in activity are doing well. You typically do not get both of those doing well. One group is supposed to be losing, but it's not. And so I'm I'm baffled like other people. I'm used to the idea that uh, if J&J goes up, then you have to expect that we're going to see uh, declines in the industrials. We're not. Uh, I'm used to seeing that if, if uh, McCormick, the spice company, goes up, uh, then any industrial should be getting completely hammered. And, and that's not happening. And I, I think we all have to kind of marvel. This is a very different market from what we've had in, uh, in, in since maybe not the 90s. It's not the 90s. You've got to go before that. You've got to go during the beginning of the great bull market in the 80s. Uh, when you see this kind of overall group move, this is not as fanciful as those. I mean, I know... I know Stan Druckenmiller, what he said, and I know the comparisons to 1999. But if you really get the second half rebound, uh, led by Europe, by the way, because Europe's incredibly strong and their banks are getting better, then you could see that these, yeah. this rally is not fanciful. Uh, it is, like I said, it's a little baffling because we're not used to everything going up. But that's S&P money coming back into the market after, after pulling out of the market because a lot of the hedge fund managers that have come on air have been so negative and they had great power. Right. Uh, speaking of which, Jeffries today uh, puts a three-handle on Amazon. That's six firms now, Jim, according to Bespoke, that have targets on Amazon of 3,000-plus. It makes you wonder, I mean, there's two schools, two schools of thought on what Powell, uh, how Powell might come at this, if he comes at it at all. Uh, one is explaining why there's 20, uh, what, 20 uh, billion in purchases a week uh, when the markets appear to be working just fine. That's Peter Bukvar's point this right. morning. The other is that the Fed, what do they really care if some Robinhood traders are making, right. uh, you know, double, triple their money on Hertz? I, I think they can ignore that. But can they ignore the numbers of the airlines, which are so horrendous? Now, that was a bag them, gun them, liquidate them group. But the numbers are just horrible. 
Uh, and will they get better? I don't know. Can you t- look at the numbers that Brinker put out today with Chili's? Uh, the numbers are very bad, but the fact is that Chili's is cash flow positive. What that means is a restaurant that's big, a chain, can uh, close uh, half its tables in order to be able to stay within the socially uh, distant rules. But if uh, independent operators did that, they'd they're just going to close their doors and they can't pay the rent. I mean, I just don't think the economy is as good as the market says it is. You know, Je- Jeff Gannett comes on. He gets the money from Macy's. What happens? The stock, does it go from 10 to 12? No, it goes from 10 to 8. Uh, I continue to look at pockets of the, of, the, of the stock market that are signaling, don't get too ahead of yourself when the PPP money runs out. We're going to have another setback. Uh, if we have another fall outbreak, we'll have a setback. But right now, the market's saying, shut up, Jim. Will you just get on board? Uh, <laughs> what the hell are you doing there? Why are you stopping the hurts? Who, are, who do you think you are to take away our money? We're trying to make some money here in, in Chesapeake. Why do you hurt us? And, and, you know, I'm not trying to hurt anybody, but I, I am regarded as being someone who is trying to make it so people make less money. And I don't know what to do, Carl. I, you know, look, the Starbucks, yeah. I, I was thinking that was a decent number. People obviously say it's not. If Starbucks is not a bag of gun, liquidate them stock. I, I accept the market's judgment. But th- th- if you come on air and you say, you know what, uh, the following uh, gas t- uh, oil tank company is not worth anything. Well, then you better, you know, check under your car before you go home. Yep, yep. And Jim, it has big implications uh, for IPOs. We'll talk about Vroom and some of these other headlines on Snowflake and Airbnb in a minute. But also M&A, and that's why we're going to bring in, even on his day off again, uh, David Faber, talk more about Uber and Grubhub. Morning, David. Good morning, Carl. Yeah, I had a feeling uh, that, uh, in fact, you guys might hear from me again. Yeah, we got two big stories, of course. One we've talked about for a while, and we'll get to that in a moment. Of course, nobody need look further than Taubman's stock price to know what's uh, at least appears to be going on there. Simon says they're going to terminate that agreement. But I just want to share some uh, news on um, on Uber, Grubhub, and Grubhub, and those European companies that uh, Alex Sherman at CNBC.com reported on over the weekend. Um, here's what we can tell you right now, what's going on. Uh, Uber uh, appears to be moving towards exiting their talks with, uh, with Grub. Um, it was not about price. The two companies had uh, agreed to a, a ratio of 1.925 weeks ago. Uh, but as we've been indicating uh, and reporting for weeks now, the, the two really have not made progress, significant progress, on um, agreeing on how they would deal with the antitrust review that would come their way and what remedies uh, Uber was willing to offer Grub um, in order to deal with any potential opposition on the antitrust front. Uh, and so it does appear likely, from what I'm hearing, uh, from people close to the situation on both sides, that uh, that Uber is moving towards exiting those talks. They will have a board meeting, I'm told, fairly soon, and it may be a decision made there. But the decision perhaps may be made for them, and that's actually maybe the more important part of the story, which I should have started with, which is that um, Grubhub does appear, again, according to people familiar with the situation, to be moving much closer to doing a deal with one of the two European delivery companies. I don't know which one, though. <laughs> Well, the problem with being on vacation, just takeaway or delivery zero. Uh, but I am told uh, that within days, Grub could reach a deal. It would be very interesting to see how that deal is structured, given neither one of those companies has a U.S. listing for their stock. And it wouldn't appear that the synergies available in Grubhub and Uber are available in the same way because the overlaps in the business are not nearly as significant 
uh, for those two companies, but it would create obviously a global player uh, or a larger global player in the delivery business. So that's kind of where we stand on that. We'll see whether Uber officially exits. Perhaps on this report, they'll even see that they've been slow rolled in part because Grubhub has been engaged in talks with one of these European companies and appears to be getting close to a deal, guys. So uh, just wanted to update on that. Um, and now, Jim, I mean, you know, you asked me about this numerous times, Taubman uh, and Simon Properties. And I think I had said last week, the lawyers that I've spoken to always indicated to me how tight this contract was, but it does not appear to have uh, given pause to Mr. Simon, who has decided to try to exit the deal. Uh, as we learned, uh, what, a few moments ago when they announced they're exercising their contractual rights to terminate. Now, of right. course, they can say they have those rights, Jim, and they seem to be taking sort of in a quick read here, kind of borrowing from a number of books, maybe the Advent Force Scout plan a little bit, but also the Sycamore L Brands plan where they say uh, that the company uh, and Taubman did not um, – did not do enough, did not make, made, uh, make essential cuts in operating expenses and capital expenditures, so failed to take steps to mitigate the impact of the pandemic. All I can tell you is right now this is going to be a war. Uh, it's interesting it's in Michigan court uh, as opposed to uh, somewhere else, uh, Delaware, but uh, it's going to be a war, Jim. Uh, perhaps it should not have been unexpected except that the tightness of this contract from everybody I've spoken with seem to think be in their minds at least a reason why Simon was stuck. But you know what? You can always try. Dow tried in Roman Haas, right? Now they right. closed on terms, but it was a war. I mean, we can go through a lot of those wars that we've seen. Maybe there's just no harm in giving it a shot as we see Taubman shares down 35%. Well, that, that cost Dow its dividend. When I look at the things that Simon's talking about, the, the idea that perhaps uh, the Taubman did not do well and mismanaged its business during this period and uh, it was disproportionately uh, affected uh, versus other malls. I think that's going to end up being a little subjective, David. But uh, if uh, I understand it, according to that February 9th agreement, that there was an out if, if Talbot did, did a poor job. I, I'm a little surprised. Uh, but then again, Simon's stock went from 55 uh, five days ago up to 90 momentarily. So I think people must have been thinking that perhaps they could get out of it. Uh, you know what? The mall business, I mean, how do you do a good job during the mall business? You're closed. I, yeah. I think everyone did equally bad. <laughs> but, David, you're right. It's going to be a war. But I do want to point out that David Simon uh, is a businessman that people revere in this industry. Uh, he's paid out $33 billion in dividends. Uh, he's a good judge of, who's do, of who is a good operator and who isn't. But it is surprising. Why did he like Talman's operation uh, and then when all malls are closed, not like Talman's operation. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, I think this is going to be one that we're going to be talking about a long time. Oh, yeah, it's going to be a lot of conversations with lawyers here who have perhaps different opinions. I mean, you know, again, it comes back. We'll come back to things like disproportionate um, because the merger agreement, or at least according to the Simon side, says that they have the right to terminate in the event that the pandemic disproportionately hurt Talman. Right, right. Well, I'm not quite sure what that means. We pointed out that there was a carve-out in the M and the material adverse effect clause that gave them the right, said you can't terminate because of a pandemic. Remember, the pandemic had already kind of begun a bit, mm-hmm. it hadn't been termed a global pandemic yet, when they signed this deal, fifty-two fifty in cash, by the way, so not a stock deal in any way. Simon Properties, you said, has been responding very positively recently, although down now. 
But, Jim, this is just going to be a war. David Simon is a tough guy. Oh, um, again, not that. unexpected in some ways, but, you know, they were getting closer and closer to having to close this thing. They were on the clock. And so by the end of the month, potentially, uh, but still a shock in some ways. As well, well do you think it's been a shock that uh, David's suing uh, Gap stores? Yeah, I guess, that, yeah, that should have been a sign maybe that he's willing to take anybody on. I, you know, I don't know, but this is going to be ugly. It's yet another deal. In a long and, you know, a quickly lengthening list of deals that we've watched fall apart, uh, whether it be Advent for Scott, whether it be L Brands and Sycamore, add this one. And of course, we've discussed Tiffany and LVMH right. in the past in terms of at least Arno's focus on trying somehow to get a price cut. But this comes back to lawyering. This comes back to contracts. Yeah. This comes back to, uh, to courts. And in this case, Michigan courts, apparently, not right. Delaware courts, but Jim. It's going to be a fight. But I do want to emphasize again, uh, David Simon, a revered figure in the industry, uh, a person who's paid his shareholders a great deal. uh, Definitely a tough person, uh, but a person that people feel is above reproach. And I think that that is now that may not matter in court, but I think our our viewers need to know that this is man is not a scoundrel. This is the best operator out there. Uh, Maybe Don Wood at Federal Realty. But wow, uh, this is. I want to I want to follow this one because everybody's been to one of their malls. Everybody. They just may not have known it. Right. Right. Well, yeah, good. I'm looking forward to you following it. And I am as well. And go back on vacation. Know. Will you? This is the yeah. hardest time on earth. And you're calling in. It's OK. Maybe I'll, People, Maybe I'll just give up and come in tomorrow entirely. No. You know, it's not that hard to turn hey, a camera listen. on and sit down at my kitchen table. So People, your kid's going away to college, I hope. Yeah, uh, we hope this to. should be the time that. Do what you want, but I didn't. I screwed up. I screwed up. Okay. I I worked. I screwed up. Thanks for the advice, old man. Right. Appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. I'll probably talk to you tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, uh, the news never stops, Jim, but there's always more news. So you can, it's like a city bus. You can take your day off because there's going to be more news when you get back. Oh, yeah. Never ends. It never ends. Uh, today was a day, by the way, where there really weren't that much earnings, but the analyst notes are, are really driving things. Look at all the down. A lot of those are because of analysts saying different things. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Micron, uh, Cisco, Chevron, uh, JetBlue, United, as we said, some of the downgrades today. And then Jeffries actually took the entire tech sector to market weight on a downgrade there. Uh, I know you talked about the Starbucks 8K with the squat guys before the hour. Uh, comps down 43 in May. Uh, they, they did say 90 percent of corporate owned would be open uh, by June 1. And that's essentially what they did, Jim. Uh, but then the preliminary adjusted loss for the quarter of 55 to 70. How does that uh, match with what expectations were? Yeah, there when you hear that uh, it's within the range, so to speak, it's not within the top of the range. And uh, that's why they'll be selling. I do think, by the way, the second half is going to be stronger. They're going to open up a lot of stores. China will be open. They're going to take advantage of the uh, vacant storefronts, uh, move in, have walk-in Starbucks. But this is a fits-and-start story. I, I would, it wouldn't shock me if Starbucks, which my Chapel Trust owns, uh, creeps what, uh, right back as Kevin makes it clear that the second half is going to be stronger than you think. And that's what we should be trading on. Uh, Starbucks is... Uh, a company is here to stay. And I say that because as you listen to us talk about David Simon, Simon Properties, not everybody who's in a mall, not everybody who is in brick and mortar is here to stay. Uh, there, a lot of outfits won't be uh, with us a year from now. Starbucks will be. Yeah. 
Uh, then IPOs, Jim. Um, Axio says that Airbnb has resumed internal discussions. Uh, Snowflake eyeing $20 billion in valuation. That's according to the FT today. And then Vroom, whom we talked to uh, on Squawk Alley yesterday. Take a listen to what the CEO said. When we first got the early days of uh, COVID, we were kind of evaluating. Obviously, that didn't seem to be the right time. We saw some interesting momentum in our business uh, through the later half of March and into April. And then we actually saw that uh, there was a great opportunity for us to move the business forward. So we got into testing the waters, got into the roadshow, and uh, we're obviously well received. This is any, time. any argument, Jim? Windows no. open? At the beginning of the IPO one of these periods where you're going to have a, an IPO train coming through, the first cars they give away. Uh, you're going to make money. Uh, put in with your broker right now uh, for Snowflake, if you can have a broker and does it. Because Frank Slootman is the CEO. Uh, he built ServiceNow, uh, which then, I, yeah, it, well, right now it's, it, it's run, Bill McDermott runs at SAP. Uh, and he's done a remarkable job. But Slootman is incredible. Uh, he's one of the toughest CEOs I've ever seen. Uh, when he retired, I remember him telling me, listen, he's sick of uh, sleeping on a cot when he's trying to, you know, trying to be in there building a company. Slootman's the real deal. Uh, he's toughest. He makes David Simon uh, look like a real sweetheart. So uh, bank with Slootman, get some snowflake. Uh, you're not going to – the enterprise software sector is very, very hot. Uh, and Slootman's maybe maybe the best. There, I mean, Mark Benioff would tell you that Slootman is someone to fear and respect. Snowflake, Google. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, we'll watch for that. Yeah. Uh, so we're holding thirty two hundred, holding Nasdaq ten k. Uh, we do want to check in with Rick Santelli, who brought us CPI a little over an hour ago. Morning, Rick. Good morning, Carl. And yes, CPI roughly as expected and they have any market moving implications at least at this point in time tomorrow be ppi but what is important today is how we continue to see yields come off after spiking on unemployment friday let's bring all these charts back to friday the 5th of june look at two-year note yields they spiked up to 23 that's the high watermark they've been drifting if you look at 10-year notes, they spiked up to 95. They're drifting a lot, now under 80 base points. And think about what this means. You know, the jobs report was, to many, just a mathematical calculation that if the worst is behind you and you start turning things on, jobs are going to improve. And indeed, we saw the nervousness leading up to it as every day leading up to the jobs report saw higher rates and higher equities. But the point is, once that was out of the way, and whether it was the last blast on Friday was short covering or new longs, almost doesn't matter. Because now the Fed, and we know Jay Powell is not enamored with the economy in many ways, thinks it's going to be a long slog. Well, the drift is lower. And this is quite important because maybe yield curve control is something you're going to talk about, heaven forbid. But it's out there in the venue. Let's look at tens minus twos since Friday's employment report. Spiked up to 72. It's lost a dozen basis points here. So if you are really thinking yield curve control, think about where two-year notes have been. Think about the long end. It's basically going to be just all about the long end. It's going to be all about the tenure because I can't imagine they're going to pick any maturity longer than 10 at this point. And finally, the dollar index. Today's a big day. Actually, yesterday was. Yesterday was the second day in all of 2020. The dollar index closed down on the year. The other one was March 9th. Well, it's down below 96.40 again today. We want to play close attention because just for the month of June, we've lost close to 3% on the dollar index. Carl and Jim, back to you. 
All right, yeah, another one to watch, uh, Rick. Thank you. So uh, market uh, being led lower, at least on the Dow, by energy, by industrials, by financials, and that's despite Apple, another record high above 350. We're back in a moment. Top two gainers on the NASDAQ 100 are Tesla and Zoom Video. Uh, Not a coincidence, those two names are the same names that have led the NASDAQ 100 since December 26th. That's the last time the NASDAQ hit 9K. Back in a minute. It's time for Jim and Stop Trading. Uh, Matthew Boston, J.P. Morgan does it again, talking about how five below would have a great number. Bingo. Stocks up about 10 percent. Uh, on 8% comp numbers. This is a company that most of the stores have been closed. Uh, it's a fun store uh, for kids, and uh, it's back, and I think it can have a very large run. Uh, so don't think it's over when it's, on, when it's up 10. Boss really likes it. it says it goes much higher, 150. Yeah, in- interesting. You know, Jim, today on Long Island, it's, uh, it's phase two beginning today. Outdoor dining, hair salons, uh, phone's going to be ringing off the hook at a lot of nail and hair salons today. Yeah, look, it, it is. I mean, I had guys over last night, people over from my house and uh, outside because it had been limited to six. And it, look, we have met no illusions. It's not over. We didn't shake hands, but it is nice to at least see people and have a kind of a normal life as close to normal as you're going to get. Yeah. That's true. How about tonight? Uh, Marification worldwide. That's timeshare. Interesting. Uh, uh, people always judge that versus Airbnb. They shouldn't. It's different. Uh, and then I've got a little company called Cirrus, C-E-R-U-S. It's blood. And, and remember, we're trying to figure out exactly what plasma uh, means for people who have uh, COVID. So uh, some studies, uh, Chinese study says it's not, it doesn't matter. American studies say it do. Let's find out. I think the American studies are better. All right, Jim. Yeah. Um, Well, we'll see what happens today. I mean, uh, your point about sort of the engine overheating is documented every day. Uh, Not that everybody's listening. BGL, bag them, gun them, and liquidate them. Tough to see. Hate to see it. Yeah. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX. Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, The ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.